For whitetail hunters like us, the mid to late season, or the rut, can be miserable if you don't have the right clothing. You're sitting out there all day long, cold, you're not moving a whole lot. But new in 2019, First Light Solitude System is the perfect insulated soft shell clothing system for tree stand and tree saddle hunters. Whether worn on its own or combined with some other pieces from First Light, this kit offers versatility for the whitetail hunter. One of the things we like best about this system is the kit link pass-through pocket. Basically, you put the jacket on, you can zip these pockets down, and you can actually reach into the bibs fleece line chest muff pocket to warm your hands up and access all the items you've got stored in there. To learn more about First Light's new solitude system, head over to their website, firstlight.com. So we've been partnering with Steerka Optics for a while now. We can't say enough good things. The glass is awesome. The warranty is the best in the industry. Check these guys out, steerkastrong.com. Welcome back to a new episode of the Boga Hunting Podcast. As a little treat for the holidays, we've decided to release an episode that has some of our best interviews of the 2019 season. It includes talks with Donnie Vincent, Aaron Snyder, Fred Eichler, and even the great Mark Kenyon. So sit back, enjoy, and we'll see you all in 2020. How yeah. was how was the the Joe Rogan podcast experience? That's that looked like a, a lot of fun. Well, that's what yeah we were going to ask. What's it like to be friends with Joe Rogan? It was cool. It was really cool. Joe was extremely friendly to me. I mean, walked right up to me. I I stuck my hand out to give him my handshake, and he he gave me a hug like we have been best friends for twenty five hmm. years. Yeah, you know. But it was it was incredible. I woke up one morning before like maybe in January, February, something like that, and he had sent me a private message and just said, hey. This is Joe Rogan. Really would love to have you on the podcast. Would you please let me know the next time that you're in LA? And I messaged him back and I said, I'm very rarely in LA. So we better just schedule this because me just popping into LA and you having an opening is never, ever going <laughs> yeah, to happen. That's right. So I sent, I sent him my, he sent me his personal cell and, and I sent him a text and I said, Hey, this is my personal cell. I don't like to give it out to many people. And if you could, please don't give this to Brad Pitt because I don't need that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he's been dogging you for a while. My, yeah. I don't, he needs I don't hair need care that. product tips, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah, he's looking for recipes and all. Or that's sort right. of and uh, so I sent that to him and he goes, fucking Brad Pitt can get his own fucking recipe. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> but it was a great that's experience. Nice. It was, um, he's a class act and, and um, it was, yeah, it was, it was it was rewarding. I hope to do it again. I hope to do it again. Did you uh, end up shooting at his, his range? Did not. No, I did not bring a bow. And, and he was, he had all these, it was funny because he had some pretty grand ideas afterwards. You know, he was like, hey, are you guys going to stick around? You can float in the float tank. You guys oh, yeah. can yep. stuff out. You can do all these different things. You can go sit. He has, he has a couple of sports cars in there. He's got a couple. Sure. Know if they were Porsches or Ferraris or whatever, and uh, he's like, you can go hang on the cars, whatever. And then as soon as we finished, I didn't, I didn't have any delusions of sticking around. But as soon as we finished, right. Jim was like, hey, dude, we gotta record a bunch of sponsor stuff. So <laughs> it'd be, you guys are welcome to stay. You're welcome to hang around. You're welcome to tour around. But um, we're gonna be in here recording for quite some time. And the only thing that they said, which was kind of cool, is they said when they, not that I'm famous, far from it, but they said when you when you leave the building, they wanted me to leave immediately. As like, at, for instance, as soon as I'm out the door, start Thank walking God. down the street because they they didn't want somebody to recognize me right. and tie to the studio because they keep it very low key. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, when you have that many downloads and that many listeners, I mean, he's not by far the most popular podcast, I'd imagine, other than the Hot Boys. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, we're coming. Yeah, other, other than you guys, he's a yeah. close second. <laughs> When we yeah, recorded, 
so my hotel room was maybe a 10 minute walk from his studio yep. and uh by the time so we we recorded i left by the time i got to the hotel room and basically took my boots off he texted me and said you're in the top 10 podcasts in the world right now <laughs> and then by the time I got on a flight the next morning. I got on a flight at maybe 6 a.m. or 5 a.m., something like that. And he texted me. He said, you're the number two podcast in the world right now. And by the time I landed in Minneapolis, we're the number one podcast. Hands down. <laughs> like it was, it was, you know, we had millions of listeners more than the second podcast. Crazy. So what was that like? What did you see the next couple of days as a result of that? Um, that's a good question. And I don't know that I, I'll tell you this and I won't tell you the number, but I, you know, obviously I sell my films. Yeah, but we sold the, yeah. you know, within <laughs> the five or six days after I did it. We sold, you know, um, well, I'll just tell you, we sold like dollars in videos that in yeah. those five days. That's yeah. crazy. That's the Rogan bump. Yeah, yeah it's the well, yeah. And, I mean, we do, we do really well in selling videos, uh, remarkably well. But that was yeah. you know, like that might be what it looks like the first week that we come out and sell videos. Yeah. But, you know, then it obviously starts to wane or slow down. But but obviously that was a, a really clear bump from him. And then the other thing that was, you know, my social media. Up. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, it went up maybe a couple of thousand people. It wasn't unbelievable. But he, um, but what was really funny is he puts the videos live on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I watched it actually. Thousands and thousands and thousands of comments where guys were calling me a liar and, and they were making fun <laughs> of me. And it was, we... We, Kyle and I were in the airport and I mean this, I'm not, I'm not being modest. We were laying on the ground crying. We were laughing so hard <laughs> how people were basically calling me a liar. It was, it was, oh my word. It was well, so funny. But for like the average person mm-hmm. and, and they have, I mean, they have people that listen to his podcast that lean many different ways. Um, I mean, when you're talking about, and you've, you've talked about this before, your time spent with wolves. You know, if you don't spend a lot of time in the woods, that would seem like ridiculous because a person that might not know about it would think, oh, you're going to be ripped to shreds. You wouldn't be here if that was the case. Sure. Yep. They think they're, they think they're zoo animals, right? Like you, you hop the fence in a zoo, uh, not with wolves, but maybe a grizzly bear or a lion or a tiger, but. Well, that, uh, that gorilla a couple of years, Hammurabi. Yeah. yeah. That's and right. The one they shot in the head. Yeah. 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 Um, so you mess around with animals like that and. Um, you're going to pay the price, you know, and with wolves, I doubt anything would even happen in, in captivity. In fact, I'm, I'm sure of it, but people have just sensationalized predators in and yeah. of themselves, whether it be grizzly bears, brown bears, you know, polar bears are a little bit tricky because everything that a polar bear sees, they kind of think is food. Um, right. But people love to sensationalize these things because we love the anthropomorphism of yeah. that they filled our childhood books as a villain and they filled our Disney movies as villains. And when, um, Jack O'Connor said it really, really well. He said flat out, and I'm, uh, I'm just paraphrasing here, but he said the woods are far more interesting if, and he was referring to black bears, but yeah. I think the script falls for all predators. But he said the woods, the mountains in the woods, the mountains in the forest are far more interesting if we demonize the black bear than if we don't. If we, if we realize, if we are camping and hunting and fishing in the backcountry, and we basically treat black bears as though they are big black fuzzy cows, which basically is what they are. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, in fact, I would argue to say, I don't know the stats, but I would almost promise you that bovine, that cattle kill more people in a year than, than sure. black, probably by 10, you know, 10, tenfold. But 
he said basically if if we create this black bear if we if we consider this to be a scary animal then our time spent in the mountains and our nights of camping are far more interesting oh hey, hey. <laughs> what, are you, what are you trying to how do how long have you going? been there yeah. Well, I listened to you guys talk like jackasses for a minute, but not that long. That's oh, generally, <laughs> so the last half hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all we do. Well, here's the thing, cool. guys. Cool. I'm going to just clear the air right now. I've already hit record. Hey, yep. And uh, last time, and I hate to admit it, I may or may not have hit record. And you definitely did All not. the blame falls squarely on these broad, burly shoulders. Are you saying you're fat? <laughs> uh, you should see me. Do I look anything but fat? Yeah, he's fat for he's a fat for an anorexic girl, maybe. <laughs> that's that's like so. Oh, you got like a brown trout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you ever no, forgot no. to hit record? Yeah, I have. Actually, you know what? I haven't. I learned the hard way with Brian. Two of the best podcasts uh, we ever recorded. He didn't hit record, and it was the kind of shit that you can't fake and do right. again. It was just. One of them was with that country music music singer. That uh, fuck doesn't matter. I can't remember his name, but anyway, it was at the ATA show, and it sucked because it was like thirty minutes of gold, and he didn't have it. Was it Tony Wintrip? No, it was. Um, man, he's. Uh, Is he part of Buck Easton Commander? Corbin. East, Easton Corbin. Oh, okay. Uh, he's I a country music. I'm not a big country guy, dude. You're yeah. not, you are still? Oh, uh, absolutely. I've, I got never, in, I've never left. I got into country one summer when you and I did some uh, construction work, if you want to call what we did construction. Did it make you feel like a man again? <laughs> I, st- I swear those songs are still on the radio a lot. Believe it or not, most of that's uh, oldie country now. In fact, some of the, even the songs we listen to in high school is now uh, good old classic rock. Yeah. Times are changing. How old are you guys? 30. Curiosity. A strong I'm 30. One of you, so. You're 37, Joe? Yeah, I'm old. Jeez, you could have I fed me when I was a baby. No hair. How old are you, Aaron? Forty-two. Woof. No. Yeah, yeah I'm older than. I've got y'all beat. You're the new old guy of the group, then. No. You could be I Tom's know, right? dad. <laughs> <laughs> how old are you, Tom? Yeah, Tom. How old are you? Twenty-seven. Uh, He's a young buck. Twenty-seven and a half. A fresh millennial. He's my actually. So, Aaron, this is James. Tom is my younger brother. So. I would say my small, my little brother, but you've been bigger than me since like seventh grade. So oh, that happens. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm old as shit. I mean, luckily I look relatively young, but um, I'm getting up there. Well, yeah. not that old because you just went on a couple of hunts, though. Oh no, I fucking crush you, young guys. I'm not <laughs> in the gym. I'm just saying. You get that old man mean, yeah. you know, the the second wind. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm just meaner than you. There's no old man. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, uh, I just, we stay pretty, you know, we, we work out constantly. Yeah. So I'm just hoping it doesn't ever go away. I don't quite recover. Um, I'm probably not quite as spry to fly out of the old bivy sack after uh, six to eight days into the, the mountains. But we did 13 straight this year. And, I mean, I wasn't exactly happy, but I wasn't hurting by any means. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long freaking time. How was the uh, yeah. how was the hunt the your predator hunt? Looks like you did pretty well. Yeah, shit, I killed the planet. I mean, I it was <laughs> insane. I, I killed everything I could. I, I the only thing I'm missing, well, I'm the only trad guy to ever do actually what I did. And I'm the, I was all my I screwed up. I almost got all five. I missed a coyote, or I would have had all five wow. predator species. Man, how many days were you out there doing that? Was that like a week? Five. Okay. Yeah. How so tough was the the shot at the cat? The big cat. Uh, which one? The the uh, 
how there was the one, one wasn't it up in a juniper or up in a like a fir tree uh the mountain lion was easy the hardest one you probably didn't see which was the bobcat it was 30 yards and uh, uh a bad angle with a lot of shit between me and him so i was like launching artillery to figure out where i needed to stand just to get the arrow to it and then a bobcat's not exactly um you know a giant object so just hitting the fucker i mean it took me i hit it three out of six times two i didn't even get the arrow to it uh one i shot low and then i smoked it uh, well what's crazy that sixth arrow blew through a branch that it was in front of blew blew the branch in half and uh and went through the cat and that's the one that did it in Okay, <laughs> she'll go and she'll be like, uh, you know, I want to go do yoga. And I, I don't do yoga. I, I'm not very remote. flexible. Yeah. It hurts to stretch. And so I don't <laughs> think it's actually good for you based on the pain that I feel when I stretch. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, you can do yoga. I'm going to shoot my bow and, you know, do my boga. So she goes and does 45 minutes of stretching and I fling a few arrows for 45 minutes or so. Some people meditate with yoga. We meditate with boga. The flight of the arrow yeah, the is very... I love it. You know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, we will do, uh, we shoot quite a bit. I think it's a good excuse to, to say that I'm out doing my boga. People really aren't listening carefully. They can't really tell what I'm saying anyways. And a lot of people actually think that we're from Georgia. So hot bow, and then they just think GA means Georgia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which I didn't have any thought like yeah. that would be, you know, thought of, but no. We had a bunch of guys in here yesterday from Four Rivers and John Deere. We were doing a yep. big... Oh, it was a pretty fun deal. They were showing a lot of their salesmen, a lot of different people. They had John Deere experts showing guys how to do hay and all this. But at night, I set up a huge archery tag course. So we were I we had people that. that had never shot a boat, and we were smoking each other. And it was <laughs> smo- It was so much fun. It was awesome. Were you sneaking your Hoyt out there uh, just to uh, make <laughs> yeah, sure? They you know. let me. They yeah, wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't let me. They were like nothing over 25 pounds because I was like, oh. <laughs> Just give me one shot. <laughs> one, one shot with my Satori. Yeah, they, but but we had a blast. It is. It was way too much fun. Yeah, that's that looked so fun. I was watching it on your Instagram. So you're you're in you're in Colorado. How long have you you been in Colorado? I moved out here. I actually used to work for Bear Archery. Yeah. In Florida, so I was kind of you know you you you're the the country music you know Florida Georgia line. Yeah, well, of course. Pretty much. I, I live pretty close to Florida Georgia line, north of Gainesville. Just grew up hunting and fishing and having a good time. And I worked bear archery was one of the jobs I had besides working in another archery shop. And that's where I actually met Michelle and her dad, John Matakia, who invented the yep. Muzzy Broadhead. Yep. Which cracks me up. Every, everybody thinks the trocar tip is a compound head and like the phantom is the traditional head. But right. her dad actually only shot recurves and longbows. And the trocar tip, the original Muzzy and like the Muzzy MX3, those are the ones that were he admitted it to be shot out of a longbow and reeker so just a funny side note but i moved out here i think it was 20 and started managing an archery shop up in fort collins colorado nice working for jim widmeyer mm-hmm. um so yeah so i've been in colorado now for uh, over 30 years where uh, are you uh where are you now we're in southern colorado just north of trinidad i actually graduated school from uh university of colorado and i uh, lived out oh, there for nice. three or four years uh right in colorado springs and denver for a while but man i miss it we don't count those big cities, but down here is right. really, really nice. Hey, yeah, I think Colorado I, I, Springs nope. is getting there. They're pretty small now. It's, Are they shrinking? Out. Yeah, yes. Why? Everybody wants to go to Denver. Uh, yeah, I, I read that they get like a zillion people a it's month or ten, something ridiculous. 10,000 people move there a month. That sounds horrible. Oh, dude, that's crazy. Which, 
affected. And that's why I like where we're at. It's, <laughs> yeah. we, we we have more elk than people, so it's really it's really nice. I like those odds. Yeah, that that is helpful. You know, I I shot. You know, going back to Muzzy, my first. I don't know, two dozen deer with, with a bow with with a muzzy. The nice. three or four, I would go mm. back and forth based on whatever uh, Walmart had at the time or wherever, <laughs> I, you know. Right. <laughs> so I, would, it, I didn't have any uh, difference between the two. I was shooting both of them. But. So you've been in the business for a while. How did you first get started in hunting? Um, was it with when you were a kid? or? or... Yeah, so my, my dad was an avid hunter. Grandpa was a big fisherman, but my dad was a hunter, loved, loved to hunt everything. I got into trapping as a kid. And used to sell the meat from like raccoons and possums and stuff, make extra money. So, so I became an avid trapper. Oh yeah, we'd sell the meat. Yeah. To, to who? Raccoon meat. Yeah. Who would eat the raccoon? I, I would. I would tell you the name of the restaurant in Gainesville, but I don't want to get in trouble. Um, <laughs> when you're ordering but, a steak there, you're getting something else. But, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, this was many years ago. I think it was a little more accepted back then. But yeah, yeah so I didn't. I, I was getting paid, so I was happy. And I grew up trapping. When I moved out to Colorado, I started trapping like pine martens and badgers and beavers and coyotes and you know bobcats, all kinds of really cool stuff. So I was like, man, this is awesome. Yeah, just uh, got into it you know, the way I think probably most people do, which is with my father. And yeah. then, you know, having worked at Fred Bear, I mean, Fred Bear was always like, you know, a hero of mine from when I was a little kid. Fred Bear's field notes was like awesome. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? That to me was like, you know, you got the Bible and then you got Fred Bear's field notes. You know what right. I mean? It was like, <laughs> 1A, 1B. Really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, this is really cool. You know, just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't read enough. It was really cool. Fred Bear did a great job of describing not only the hunt, but the people and the places, that's really what it's all about. And, and I, I, I just always respected what a good guy was and, and how great he told the story. We have a rule on our, on our Instagram page that if you want to ever get a lot of likes, post a Fred Bear quote or picture or anything like that. You're guaranteed. Everybody loves it. But, but it, goes, yeah. it goes back to the fact that he spent so much time telling the stories. Mm -hmm. And that's why his impact has lasted so long. You know, his ability oh. to tell a story. That's exactly right. I, w I would agree with that 100%. And, you know, really, there's very, I, I mean, Fred Bear was just, he, he'd stop and talk to anybody. And, you know, Michelle's dad, John, was like that, you know, and just didn't really, I mean, he was telling a story. He wasn't bragging about himself. He was telling the story. And right. the, the feature of the story wasn't him. It wasn't about him being this great shot or this great hunter that he was. It was more about the place he was or the valiant maid who doesn't remember the name of the boat, you know what I mean? Or, you know, just, or the people and yeah. the places. It was just when the animal itself and how much respect he had for him. So, man, I tell you, I just couldn't, they don't make him like that, you know, anymore. Dwight Chu, another, you know, huge hero of mine. So fortunately he passed, but there's another that was, a, that was a great one. There was, there's been some really iconic people in the, in the hunting industry. You know, there was a lot of really good people to look up to. And I came up, I think at a really good time where I got to interact and felt very fortunate to interact with a lot of those guys. Yeah, that's that's an uh, incredible opportunity. How old were you when your when your dad first took you out? Oh, gosh. I, I Honestly, I can't remember. I mean, I have pictures of me as a child. I mean, just like Mike, you know, we have pictures of Trent, six-month-old turkey hunting with us, <laughs> you know, literally laying on the floor. Both people, most parents would have a heart attack. He's laying around in cow crap, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. There's a blanket <laughs> on the ground, and yeah. he's rolling around holding a dirty turkey feather you know what I mean and stick it in his mouth and you know I'm yep. calling turkeys and we're, we're having a blast but you know he's he's still going he may have worms now but he's still doing yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it keeps you it keeps you thin yeah you know there's right problems. exactly mm -hmm. yeah, exactly everybody needs a little tapeworm no, right. <laughs> sometimes you got to pay big bucks for those mm -hmm. things on mm -hmm. the internet <laughs> <laughs> you gotta track me up I love it yes
it's exactly exactly what this process was. So it was both infuriating and frustrating and tough and a ton of work. But at the same time, when things would come together or when a sentence clicked in or when all of a sudden this made sense or yeah. a chapter came together, that's the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. So it was it was the best and the worst. <laughs> Usually, most things, most of the truly, and you know, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about that later. But the truly good things in life are, are are not the easy things, or the you know the the immediate gratification type situations. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. But you, I always like to talk about. Uh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say I always like to talk about type two fun. Yeah. There's these this idea like the different types of fun. Type one fun is just your simple. It's fun in the moment, like playing a game of basketball or watching a movie. That's roller coaster. It's yeah, it's fine. A firework. But it's yeah, yeah. But then type two fun is the kind of fun that maybe in the moment it's not that much fun. It's hiking up a mountain. It's packing an elk off of a mountain. You might be miserable in the moment, but a year later or a week later or whatever, you're going to look back on that and it's the coolest thing you ever did. And you have stories about it and you reminisce about it and it sticks with you. And I love type two fun. I want the work. I want the misery. I want the tough stuff because... That's the kind of thing that really, really moves the needle in the long run. So this book was a whole lot of type two fun for me. Well, and it seems like it's it's interesting because the book was, but when you're telling your stories throughout the book, it seems like all your stories are type two fun. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. I'm walking with my dad and he, you know, squishes an orange or, you know, I'm in this back country of, you know, in grizzly country, you know, rafting and that it's difficult. It's all or with your wife and it's cold I'm camping in the back of a truck or, or whatever. It seems like this, you know, backcountry this wild place adventure usually is has to be type two fun is that true have you found that to be you know kind of the necessary ingredient for experiencing the wild i would say for me it is certainly people can have a type one experience with wild places to a degree Mm -hmm. and i would rather them have that than none at all yeah right I i would rather someone drive through yellowstone national park and at least see it than never seeing it at all right I would encourage them to get out of the car and get off the road and physically experience it in a deeper way. You're going to have a better experience. If, you, if you're physically capable, you're going to have a physically or a better experience, I would say. Yeah. But I would take a little bit than nothing at all because it's really hard to to ever care about these places or, or want to stick up for them in any kind of way unless you have some kind of connection to them. So a little is better. Yeah, or a little something, but uh, but a lot's better. And I always would push people to try to go beyond your comfort zone, to push the limits, to go and get uncomfortable. I think there's a lot of people today that are divorced from nature and divorced from the outdoors and any kind of real physical work or connection with this place or wild animals. And I've never seen anything but benefits and personal growth and uh, fulfillment from doing that. Were you tempted to leave any of these difficult moments out to, to, out of fear of scaring people away or anything like that? You know, that's interesting you bring that up because I don't think I ever did think about that. Hmm. And it's interesting you say that because maybe I did scare some people off. Yeah, sure. And that's, and that's something I didn't want to do. One of my goals with this book, I really wanted to make it not only accessible from a history standpoint, but also accessible in that it would hopefully inspire some people to want to see these places. And so maybe you're right. Maybe some of this stuff w- would get a reader say, ooh. Right. I couldn't do that. <laughs> but at the same time, I am just an average schmuck. You know, I'm not some superstar. I am not Survivor Man. I am not Bear Grylls or something like that. Right. And I, I survived it. I did this stuff. I went out there and made a fool out of myself sometimes, made some mistakes sometimes, flipped, flipped a, raft a canoe over here and there. there. Yeah. yeah. So, so I 
if bumbling Mark Kenyon could do this, <laughs> so so could anyone else. Yeah. Well, it's it's an interesting point because, and you talk about it a bit when you talk about the relationship between FDR and Bob Marshall, right? Mm, Both yeah. of these guys proponents of public land, but they had this disagreement that we we see still being debated today. You know, what does protection look like? How do you develop the public land? Who gets to decide? You know, FDR chose the the civilian conservation corps to core to you know to build roads and stuff, and you know, or, or plan to and. You know, Marshall and, and guys like Leopold were like, whoa, you need you need places that are untouched. And you can see both sides points where, you know, you want this un you know, uninhibited wilderness mm-hmm. versus like this something that's accessible for a guy who, you know, FDR, whether people knew it at the time or not, had polio and could not walk. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of understand both of both of their, their kind of points of view. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And and you're right. It is still the crux of so many debates still today. Uh, And I talk about a lot in the book. One of the things that makes our public land so special, but also so challenging is the fact that they are shared by all of us. And in most cases, they are multiple use, a lot of different stakeholders. So that makes it really tricky to figure out the right way to manage these things. And uh, I always err on the side of balance. We have to figure out a way that there's going to be some places that should be used in this kind of way. And there's some places where, yeah, we should have resource extraction and sustainable development and logging and drilling and things like that. It's great that we have a public resource that we can use in that kind of way, but it's got to be done responsibly, carefully, in the right places, and with a view of the long term. That was something that Theodore Roosevelt made very clear over and over again Mm -hmm. as he was really setting the foundation for our public land system. It was, you always need to think about the next generation. Because if you think about just today, you're going to make decisions that will not keep these resources and places around for the long term. And so I think that is a helpful filter to pass a lot of these specific questions or controversies through. What's going to be the right decision for the long term and for the next generation? But yeah, I mean, I personally have internal debates around this too. When I want to see the average American be able to get out into some of these spots. So I like the idea that you've got national parks that are accessible by vehicle and there's visitor centers and there's roads and there's all that kind of stuff. I'm glad that someone that lives in New York that maybe has never done anything in a wild country before could go out and see it and be touched by it in some kind of way. Yeah. But I also am really glad that we've got some places that are completely the opposite of that, as wild and untouched and untrammeled as you can find still in the country, where you can't take a car, where you can't even take a bike, where you have to just viscerally connect with your feet, get dirty, get tired, maybe come face-to-face with a bear. Right. I think we need that kind of thing too, at least for those who – are interested in it it's it's a good thing it's out there i would say yeah you're connected to the ground but you also you know like and you 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 kind of alluded to this a lot in your book it's like you you learn a lot about yourself i mean you are faced with your own internal you know grizzlies in in some mm-hmm. respect a lot by just being forced out into very uncomfortable situations yeah I mean, that's that's the type two fun again. I yeah. think that makes a person who they are. And yeah. it can help. That's the only way to grow. The muscles, when you look at how muscle grows and develops, it, the only way that happens is by tearing right. muscle fibers apart before they can regrow stronger. Well, I think that's the same thing with, with a person's just psyche or yeah. your own self, your self-identity. There's no way you can grow, become a better person, become a more well-rounded person than by sometimes letting yourself get tore down a little bit putting yourself in the thick of something and seeing what happens and and how you come out the other side. That's at least for me personally and what I want out of life. That's the future I'm looking towards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everybody. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Uh, If you want to go over and hit subscribe to wherever you're listening to this podcast, that'd be great. It'd really help us out. And if you want to follow us along more, 
check out our Instagram page at Boga Hunting. Thanks.